It's always exciting to hear about homeschooling parents who are just as innovative in serving the homeschool community as they are living out their own family's journey. Today's guest, founder of ARCS Publishing, Tony Schiavo, is here to give us a peek into the world of being a homeschool dad and a publisher. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Before we get started, remember to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, click the bell to join our channel. Hello and welcome. I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host, and it's a joy to welcome Tony Schiavo to talk about being a homeschool dad and a publisher. Tony Schiavo is a Catholic husband and father residing in New Jersey. When he's not enjoying life with his wife and six children, he spends his days publishing textbooks in the allied health professions and special education for a mid-sized New Jersey publisher. He moonlights as the co-founder and president of ARCS Publishing, a small Catholic press that he has run since 2001. ARCS primarily serves the Catholic homeschooling community, publishing new historical novels for young readers, as well as reprints and new translations of classic works on Roman, early church, and medieval history. Tony has two books of his own to his credit. I Am a Christian, Authentic Accounts of Christian Martyrdom and Persecution from the Ancient Sources, and Iroquois Wars I, Extracts from the Jesuit Relations and Primary Sources, 1535 to 1650. You can find Tony Schiavo and his wonderful catalog of homeschooling resources at www.arcs, that's A-R-X, pub, P-U-B, dot com, and that's in the show notes. Welcome to the program, Tony. It's good to have you here. Thanks, Lisa. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, yeah. We, we had a really nice chat when my husband and I were on the road, and you and I grabbed a quick phone call, and it was so much fun. I just couldn't wait to get you on. Would you just step us into the, a little bit of the history of your publishing efforts? How did God lead you and your business partner to step out, you know, in the midst of, like, homeschooling and working and all the things to create yeah. a new company? Yeah, it, it's uh, a good question because we didn't start out uh, anything like what we are now. Uh, arcs didn't exist when the company really started it started as the brainchild of my business partner claudio salvucci who uh was also a friend from that we met in high school we went to a uh, a catholic prep school in philadelphia and uh we spent four years there goofing off and uh learning latin <laughs> and among <laughs> other things and uh you know a lot of the kind of esoterica that we learned there really stuck uh you know, uh, I could wish that we'd had a better Catholic education there. And not to be quite honest, uh, the, the quality of the Catholic education we had there is one of the reasons that we decided to homeschool <laughs> both <laughs> of us, actually. So uh, Claudio and myself, uh, Claudio has five kids and uh, he and his wife homeschool and my wife and I homeschool as well, our six. So but when we started out, uh, it, it all came about because Claudio wrote an epic poem. And there was no one who was going to publish an epic poem. Wow. <laughs> so uh, he st and we always tell the story that uh, it, it, the name of the poem is the Laviniad. And it was meant to be a sequel to Virgil's Aeneid. 
So it was, that's a pretty big, uh, uh, thing to try to do right out of college. I and love he, the audaciousness of that. <laughs> I, I, I always just thought it was really funny. And, you know, he started to write it. I thought he was a little bit crazy to do it. And he actually started to write it in Latin. Oh my! And he goodness. always tells the story that he got about six lines into it and it took him a day to write those six lines. And he realized, you know what? English is probably better. <laughs> so uh, he wrote it in English and I thought he was kind of kooky to do that. And uh, I read it when he finished and it was good. <laughs> I couldn't believe how good it was. So, wow. but the fact remains, it's an epic poem and the number of publishers who publish epic poetry these days, especially new epic poetry is probably zero. <laughs> so he realized that if he was going to get that published, he was going to have to figure out a way to do it himself. So what did he do? He went to his father who owned a machine shop and said, dad, I need you to build me some book binding equipment. <laughs> wow. Which, which his dad proceeded to do. <laughs> My goodness. So they basically built this, uh, they built the machinery. This is his dad's an, an Italian immigrant. Uh, you know, who's a very intelligent man who, you know, had all these great ideas for how to, he he built stackers in his machine shop, industrial stackers. So, you know, he looked at that as a challenge. So he he built these the machinery to actually put this book together. And this was at a time in about 1996, when digital printing was just becoming possible. And you could just start to have laser printers in your own house that didn't cost $4,000. Right. Uh, so he printed you know, sheet after sheet for this book on his laser printer. And uh, we sat there and we stitched them together by hand. He made the uh, covers on a screen printer that, he, that his dad built. Uh, and then he glued those together. He, he learned how to do book binding. And uh, I'd say we made about 50 of those. And, you know, he managed to, it was such an off the wall idea that he managed to get some interviews, some reviews, and we sold a few of them. And he really kind of, we both kind of liked the idea of, wow, this is kind of a cool thing. So um, he, that was the first book that we ever published. And it was published under an imprint called Evolution Publishing, which later became ARCS. But Evolution had nothing to do with the theory. It had everything to do with the Latin meaning of the word evolution, which means to unroll a scroll, Ooh. evolutio. So um, that's where the name of the, the company, the first company originally came from and actually evolution still exists and that's where we publish all of our nonfiction stuff so oh. all of our kind of uh, esoteric uh reprints of native american language stuff and uh, uh some of the ancient church history and medieval history stuff that we do that's where that comes from can we find the link out to that yeah it's, it's on the www.arxpub.com website uh Great. it's on the left nav uh, it says Evolution Publishing on there. Or you could just go to www.evolpub, E-V-O-L-P-U-B.com. Mm -hmm. Great. I'll put that in show notes, too. Yeah. Wonderful. So, uh, and, you know, to from there, I mean, this was, and Claudio, and again, we weren't, I mean, we were both practicing Catholics at the time, but neither of us had any idea of, you know, actually incorporating that into what we were publishing <laughs> yeah. so what ended up and, and claudio was a man of uh he has very esoteric interests so what he was interested in at that time was native american language so Ooh. he'd go down to the american philosophical society in philadelphia and he'd pull out all of these 400 year old manuscripts of indian language word lists and republish them in things like this 
Oh and these are these gosh. little handmade books that he did for 20 years. <laughs> oh my goodness. For those of you just listening on a podcast platform, go to the YouTube if you want to see this really cool cover. It looks like it has an arrowhead on the cover and it's very, it's kind of a nice little, sort of a dignified little volume. Yep. And we sold a ridiculous number of these because yeah. there was, this was unique information that you couldn't find anywhere else. And he dredged it out of the American Philosophical Society library. And they were all unpublished or published 400 years ago works. And, uh, you know, there's, and there, at that time, there's a movement of Native American tribes wanting to revitalize their languages. Like the one I just held up is vocabulary of Powhatan, which, if you'll remember, was the language, was the tribe that Pocahontas and John Smith and uh, Jamestown were involved with. Wow. So uh, there were, you know, there was a word list of their language. No one speaks the language anymore, but there's an effort by the descendants of those folks to kind of try to re revitalize the language and resources like that are key to do that. I know this is a very goofy, geeky thing to say, but I'm just having this mental image of all the kids out there who love the Lord of the Rings and all the elven languages wanting to peek into this world of Native American languages for inspiration. Yeah. And it's funny because sometimes we'll go to the conferences and we'll have a smattering of those books just sitting out on the uh, on our display. And inevitably, people will pick them up. We have a couple. We have two books uh, on one on Old English and one on Anglo-Saxon uh, mm. that, are, you know, they'll get picked up occasionally by these kind of, like you said, slightly geeky homeschool kids who are <laughs> just into all that. And that's what I love. One of the things I love about going to the Catholic homeschool conferences is that you all you find people with the most you know interesting interests like the people that are just like into all this different stuff and what it what it really amazes me is that you know claudio and i both have some pretty uh esoteric interests you'll find people that have the same interests and know more about it than you do <laughs> yes yes it's amazing what happens when you're not putting your children through a factory education where they actually have space to explore and stay curious and love learning my goodness the things that open up yes and i have to say as, as homeschoolers myself uh, you know my wife and i uh, have noticed that with our own kids you know if we find one that has a particular interest let them run with it if he has yeah. to set aside, you know, uh, math and spelling for a couple of days because he's chasing his, his kind of special interest, then that's okay. Wow, I love that. I love that. That's so life-affirming. It's like there are things we need that we need, right? But we want to be joyful Christians as well. We want to be people who are alive to the beauty of God's creation and all that he has woven into us to Absolutely. go and seek him, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and honestly, uh, we steer them and, you know, if we don't want their interest to be things that are not of God. So we want to make sure that they're doing, that their interests are, are things that are going to lead them closer to God, not take them farther away. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, so we're going to uh, take a, just a short sponsor break right now and hear from our wonderful folks over at Homeschool Connections that make this show possible. Everybody, we're here with Tony Schiavo being, about being a, a homeschool dad and a publisher, and we will be right back in just a few seconds. Hi, I'm Walter Crawford. And I'm Maureen Whitman. We are the co-founders of homeschoolconnections.com and proud sponsors of the Homeschooling Saints podcast. Which is here to help you homeschool more joyfully, more easily, and more effectively. We want to thank you for listening. And we invite you to check out our courses at homeschoolconnections.com. And now back to our program. 
All right. We're back with Tony Schiava. We're talking about being a homeschool dad and a publisher. And I'd love to just have you step us into the, a little bit more about the kinds of books that you champion. What are, what's your hope? What would you like to accomplish with what you're doing with ARCs? And uh, you know, let, let's see more of kind of the strategic plan, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I can't reveal too much of that because it's privileged information. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. We're going to have to put the screws on. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally not. Uh, uh, th that kind of gets, uh, you know, to the next phase of where when evolution became arcs was we received a, a manuscript. And this was really put us on the path to the kinds of books we want to publish. And ever since we've received that manuscript, I've been looking for the next one. And we've gotten them, actually. We've, we've continuously, God has kind of been very generous to us in sending talented people our way. So uh, the this one was this book, Angels and Iron. Mm. So, Angels and Iron, this is when we were still doing books by hand. And this is a copy of Angels and Iron. It's the only one we have left that we actually made by hand. Oh, we made what about a treasure. Two, we made about 230 of these. And the last time I checked on Amazon, there was one selling there for about $150. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so, they're, they're still out there. They're kind of people, you know, occasionally will sell them, but they sell them at a premium. But, you know, we made about 200 of those, and that's when we decided we have to go and get an actual printing. You know, we have, we have to get into the age of where we're, you know, printing a thousand books at a time. Oh my <laughs> we can't goodness. be hand-making books anymore. And that manuscript came in from somebody that we didn't know. He was a friend of my brother's friend. So, <laughs> and he heard that we published books, and he was a totally rookie author, never published anything in his life. And he came to us with this manuscript, and I read it, and I read it in a day. <laughs> And mm. I loved it so much. I said uh, to Claudio at the time, I don't know how we're going to publish this, but we have to publish this. Wow. And that was approximately 10,000 copies ago. And that uh, for a small publisher, 10,000 copies of any book is a good thing. It really is. It really is. I had a bestseller in 2015 and I, I think we were doing backflips over 5,000. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we're, we're, and it continues to sell and it's the kind of book that we want to publish, which is, it's a historical account of the siege of Malta of 1655, uh, 1565. And, uh, it's, uh, very historically, it's very related to the historical sources, but at the same time, it's an absolute page turner and it's very Catholic, right? So if you, if you don't know anything about the siege of Malta, it's, uh, basically the, it's similar to the battle of Lepanto in that if the the Knights Hospital had lost that battle against the Turks, it's very likely the Turks would have used Malta as a springboard to invade Italy, which is what they were trying to do. Mm. So uh, our lives today could be very different uh, if that battle had not been won. And it was kind of one of these battles where it's, you know, 1500 Knights against 40,000 Turks, and somehow <laughs> they managed to, to win the day. So it's a very, and the author, Nick Prada, uh, who's now a very good friend of ours uh and has written other books with us too he that you know he'd never written a book before this was his first effort at it and he was just it he had, was one of these kind of guys with a hidden talent wow. um and we've we've been very fortunate because we've really uh to answer your question uh that's the kind of books that we're looking for and we've gotten a number of manuscripts in over the years that are just exactly that and the other cool thing is that because we're so plugged into the homeschoolers, as we were talking about, they're very creative. <laughs> as a group, there's some really creative, talented people there. And <laughs> we've done maybe 
three other books by specifically by homeschoolers. And uh, now I have a manuscript sitting uh, on my desk that just came in from a young woman that we met at one of the homeschool conferences many years ago uh, that, you know, she had come to us and said, what do you want me to write? I want to write something. And I said, well, we want a book on the Korean martyrs. Can you do that? And she said, yes. <laughs> so, wow. uh, and we signed a contract and I trusted that you're going to be able to do it. And the manuscript came in roughly a year later. <laughs> so Okay. I want to just ask you a, a little pop question. And that is, what role does the Holy Spirit play in your discernment about this? What are you seeing spiritually in terms of how this is all developing? Oh, 100%. I mean, uh, I, have, I have said for a long time, whenever the Whenever the business wasn't doing particularly well over the years, I mean, we're very blessed now that it's doing quite well. But over the years, we've had some rough patches. And it seems like every time I you know, had to sit down and say a little prayer saying, God, if you want this to keep going, you have to send us some business or else we're going to be in trouble. And every single time it's come through, uh, it's things out of the blue. It's kind of crazy. So I, I feel like the Holy Spirit really is. I feel like as long as we're on the right path, we're going to be blessed. So, uh, you know, I've never had any uh, concern in that regard. Whenever I feel like we're in trouble, we can just sit down, say a prayer, you know, maybe say a couple of rosaries or a novena or something like that. And the next thing you know, we're, in, we're back on, on in good shape. Wow. Wow. That's so good. I feel like that lesson of just reliance on God and not on ourselves. We work hard, but there's always, you know, we got to lean in, right? That's it. And the other thing is that he sends us the projects. I mean, he's, I feel like he's, uh, the Holy Spirit's given me some level of discernment to know what's going to work and what's not going to work. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I always, I try to say a prayer when we're deciding which books we want to take on, which ones we want to take forward. And, and really a lot of it now is, is this, does this fit our model? You know, is it sufficiently Catholic? Is it uh, giving the right message to our audience? Is it a message that our audience is going to be receptive to? Is it educational? Is it teaching them something, right? And uh, there's always been, as long as I'm asking those questions, I feel like the Holy Spirit's going to guide us in the right direction. Right. So you have some really good core principles that guide the process. So we're talking about historical fiction that is very well researched, that has, that upholds our Catholic faith and values. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. and it's not just the writing too. We have, uh, we're blessed to have a lot of, uh, I'm, I'm surrounded by uh, artists as well. So wow. whenever we need cover art, I mean, I think my mother-in-law has now done four cover arts for us. Uh, oh. And she's, a, she does them in oil. She does them in pastels. She does, you know, she's very talented. Oh and goodness. one of our more recent books, uh, this one, this yeah, is I'm by, seeing some beautiful cover art behind you. Yeah, so this one, I don't know if you can see it with the glare, but this is Masaru, which is a book we published a couple of years ago. It actually won a Catholic Media Award. Wow. Um, this one, the art on the cover was done by my son. Wow. <laughs> and he had never done a book cover before. And I gave him, uh, I, the author and I told him what we wanted. And uh, we set him, you know, I turned him onto Photoshop and showed him how to use it. And within a, a month or so, he had come up with this magnificent cover that everyone was really happy with. Wow. I love that. They're just giving people opportunities like the person you met at the homeschool conference and saying, yeah, here's what we need. Go run with it. And to your son, here's the concept and really having an adult conversation with a young person and, and opening the door to them discovering what they can do. 
Yeah, exactly. Just giving them the tools, giving them the guidance and letting them run with it. That that was, uh, you know, uh, that I look at that as that's part of the educational process, too. You know, he, sure, he's is he providing a cover for me? Yes. But at the same time, he's uh, learning something really important. Yeah. Wonderful. So good. And so right in our niche. Um, yeah. So anything else you want to say about any of your favorite titles? Um, what else kind of exemplifies the work that you do? I see other beautiful things behind you. Is there one or two others that you'd like to highlight today? Yeah. I mean, this one, you know, this is Life of St. Cyprian. Uh, so I, for the Homeschool Connections people who may be listening, uh, this is by, you know, this was a work that was put together by Philip Campbell. Oh, we love Philip Campbell. Yes, of course. And <laughs> Philip and I, you know, we it's funny because that book had its genesis when uh, Maureen Whitman and we had invited Maureen to come down and speak to our local homeschool group in South oh. Jersey here. And she suggested that Philip uh, also be a speaker. And he was green as green could be. That might have been his first uh, effort at speaking at a conference. This was 2009, something like that. Wow. So that 14 years ago, and they were both great. I mean, we knew Maureen was going to be great. We kind of rolled the dice a little bit with Philip, and he was just great. Everybody just totally, you know how he is. He, everyone glommed onto him. And um, <laughs> during the time that they were there, we kind of did a little walking tour of uh, Old City, Philadelphia. And mm. Philip brought up that he had this idea for a book about St. Cyprian. He knew it was crazy and esoteric. And I said, well, actually, that kind of fits into <laughs> some of the stuff that we do, uh, which is church history. Uh, and I think we could make that work. So Philip pulled it together and he submitted it. And, you know, that book is, you know, it's been picked up by all kinds of people. It's used as a textbook and it's all the works of St. Cyprian. So if you don't know St. Cyprian, he was kind of the proto Augustine in, uh, wow. in Africa. He was the first kind of bishop martyr that was really theologically significant in Africa. Wow. Um, well, not the first, I guess, uh, Tertullian was before him, but, um, but he's, you know, he and you know, the size of this book, it's, you know, it's a very large book. So yeah. he was very, he, he did an awful lot of writing. So, um, you know, it's, it's all of his works. It's an earlier translation. And what Philip did was he added all the um, commentary from a Catholic perspective, because it was published by a Protestant press originally. Oh. Oh. So all the commentary in there is now is Philip's and it's very Catholic. Yeah. And Philip, for those of you who haven't had a course with him at Homeschool Connections or read any of his books, makes things accessible. That's why everyone loves him so much. He's, he's not somebody who wants to talk over your head. He's very erudite. He's very, very well educated and knows his stuff. But he has a way of relating to human beings that makes it all work. <laughs> Speaking of Philip, uh, you may, a lot of people may know him as the author of The Story of Civilization which is an absolutely fantastic resource. Uh, we use it for all of, you know, that's our baseline history for all of our kids. And they've read it and listened to those books dozens of times. Um, when Philip finished that, we um, talked to him a little bit about, you know, maybe doing some history of Asia because there wasn't any, all of the, the books and story of civilization deal with Egypt and West. They don't really deal with any of the cultures of the East. So we thought there's, you know, maybe some books on the cultures of Asia would be a good thing. And yeah. we decided to do the first one we decided to do was the Philippines. So he oh. did basically in the, in the style of uh, the story of civilization, he did the story of the Philippines. Nice. And that is just your typical Philip Campbell book. So it's the history, 
And then it's these little vignettes scattered throughout just, that just kind of bring the history to life, like stories mm. of people who are living at that time. Wow. And we have a tremendous Catholic Filipino community in this country, never mind around the world. I mean, I've lived abroad and there have been beautiful Catholic Filipino communities in various parts of the world. So, wow, what a gift to be able to know their history, all of us. Well, yeah. And and honestly, I knew almost none of this stuff before I read that book. So, uh, and we have, you know, Filipino members of our family. We have, uh, you know, friends, you know, we're uh, same what you just said. We have many Filipino, uh, great Filipino Catholics uh, in our Catholic community. So uh, I felt like this was an opportunity to kind of not only uh, give them something, but to teach something of their history to all the rest of us who should know it. Yes. And know. You know, as you probably know, a lot of Filipino history, uh, Philippine history as it exists, you know, within the last hundred years is very intertwined with American history anyway. So there's mm -hmm. an awful lot of American history in the later part of the book. Yeah. Well, the wars certainly accelerated that yeah. mixing of cultures, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Good, good. So um, what kinds of feedback do you get from homeschoolers when they read your books? What are you hearing? Well, honestly, that's what keeps us going. Uh, they, you know, we get all kinds of, you know, we see the comments that show up on Goodreads. We see, uh, you know, they just, we get a lot of really good feedback. And, you know, I think the, one of the things that's really helped us uh, is that Seton and Colby have picked up some of our books to carry, you know? So wow. that's almost like the imprimatur, right? <laughs> that's like, yeah, you know, right? you made it when Seton thinks that you're, uh, uh, Seton Home Study School thinks that you're, uh, stuff is quality enough to be included in what they're offering. So yeah, I think great schools. part of what we did was we're trying to fill a niche. Um, there are plenty of other publishers out there who publish books for younger children, uh, ages nine to 12, maybe uh, a lot of kind of Catholic historical fiction in that for that age group. There was very little for 12 to 18. Uh, and that's really the kind of niche we were we were aiming to fill, which is let's bring some Catholic historical content that's going to be, you know, that those kids are going to be able to read and say, wow, this is really cool. Mm, wow. So it's and a little I, deeper. It gets a little yeah. deeper into the actual history. Yeah. And I can guarantee you that because this is the experience I had when we were homeschooling, that when you start to dip into some of these very well written books for young people, you get lit up yourself. I mean, we fill in gaps in our own education through our children's enthusiasms and the opportunities that that we have because we have the time. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, we we want the books to appeal to adults as well. I mean, we we uh, we don't look to dumb down things just because they're quote being read by young people. Uh, right. we want to, we'd rather challenge the young people than dumb, dumb the books down so that adults are not interested. <laughs> right. And our homeschoolers tend to be readers, not all, but, but certainly a lot of them are big readers. Um, speaking of that, has anyone ever given you feedback that resulted in a project? Did you ever get any ideas from people out there? Yeah, all the time. Uh, uh, we had, I, I mentioned before, we had uh, a young woman who came up and, uh, we gave her a project because she was looking for something to write, but uh, you know, we've had other folks come up and say, hey, do you have a book on this? You should have a book on that. Maybe I'll write that book. Uh, wow. We used to do back in the old days, uh, we sponsored a contest, a short story contest uh, for young writers. And, you know, we'd have, you know, 40, 50 people submit their short stories and we'd pick the best one. We would put it in our little catalog 
as uh, you know, we'd had some uh, some excerpts from our books, and then the short story contest winner would would show up in our catalog, our print catalog that we would send out. Wow. And um, you know, one of those, it was so brilliant, and we loved it so much that we asked we and we would usually tell the the winner, hey, if you ever write anything full length, let us know. We might be interested in publishing it. Well, this kid <laughs> took us at our word. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a couple of months later had said, I've been working on this manuscript for a long time. He was 18, 19 years old at the time. And that turned into our book, uh, Crown of the World, Night of the Temple, which is about uh, kind of the end of the crusading era. Wow. That's so, exciting. He, right. So that he's one of the guys that uh, was just a homeschooler who, you know, he won our contest. And uh, from there, it turned into a full length book. That's amazing. I love those stories. Um, and you mentioned that your son got to do one of the book covers. What do your kids think of your books? Um, they love them. <laughs> I, I'm exaggerating a little bit. Uh, <laughs> they, 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 uh, I would say that uh, they all like them because we do use them. I mean, we use them in uh, Maureen Whitman in her book for the love of literature talks about how you can use these kind of books to kind of read your way through history. We read your way through science, mathematics, et cetera. Mm. But um, that's what we do with these books too. So when I'm teaching history, I'm using Philip Campbell's uh, story of civilization as the baseline. And then we'll kind of branch off. So when we get to the early, like early middle ages, or when we want to talk about the, the Byzantine uh, empire or late Roman history, we'll read the Belisarius books, right? Because they're, that's what they're talking about. And they get much more deep into that history. And there's a lot of, you know, there are things that actually happened in those books. And they're some of them are crazy things. Like who would have expected that, you know, the Roman empire fell in the West and then was revived 80 years later, didn't last very long, but you know, that almost came back 80 years later. Wow. Um, so that's just, you know, the kind of things that I go through, you know, and my kids have heard all these books. We've, we do read alouds. So, mm. um, when, since my kids were little, we always were reading books out loud and they got used to that. They really, you know, that was the kind of thing that even when they're older, they kind of hang around to hear, <laughs> to listen to mm -hmm. that. Um, most of my kids are in their late teens at this point, but you know, even when I'm reading with the younger ones, the older ones will kind of hang around and want to listen. And uh, a lot of the books that we read, not all of them, obviously, because we have to, our books don't cover all of history. But uh, we are one like right now we're reading uh, with my 12 year old. We're reading Angels and Iron. And he's uh, he's actually already read it. So he kind of cheated. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's uh, good. good to hear. Yeah. Again. Yeah. But we're uh, you know, we're, because we're at that point in the history that we're studying, it's uh, we're at, you know, kind of the beginning of uh the or the end of the crusading period and the beginning of kind of the modern era so uh, that book fits in nicely yeah i love that idea too of there's the togetherness of the family and the spiritual goods that happen when the family joins together right we're together in the lord's name we're 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 here for the lord and so he's going to bless that and also the idea of the child reading something but also hearing it you think about learning styles and all different ways that we take things in or taking them in at a different moment in our lives where we receive something differently i love that idea and i also have noticed that families that do a lot of reading aloud their children pronounce complex vocabulary correctly because they've heard them. You know, a lot of kids who have done a lot of learning by reading, they have their own pronunciations for certain words, and that's fine, you know, they'll figure it out, but they have incredible vocabularies. Um, right. So the both are good. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely right. I was one of those kids that was, I, I read uh, obsessively as a little kid, 
And a lot of the words that I read, I had no idea how to pronounce. So right. you hear them come out of my mouth when I was little and uh, they sounded quite ridiculous. But uh, oh, wow. <laughs> and I hope that, you know, reading them aloud is, is doing that for my kids and that I'm not mispronouncing the French words or whatever. But uh, I do my best. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, re- yeah, I would say reading aloud has, has made a big difference. And I would encourage uh, people to do that. It's just it, it really does. The, the thing that I like about it is that you get to a point in the history and you can kind of launch off of that point. You you can stop, pause, say, you know, what really, you know, what happened here? And here's a little bit of additional detail. So, yeah. it, it, you know, that's one of the things. It's almost like you have a running commentary to go along with the, uh, you know, and it, and it can be fun, too. I mean, we do voices, you know, we'll do the different voices for the different <laughs> characters. And my kids get irritated with that because I'll do my G.K. <laughs> Chesterton voice sometimes. And, it, you know, it's just <laughs> they want me You're to supposed to it. annoy them. You're their father. <laughs> uh, I'm good at that. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Um, yeah. So anything else you want to say about how we can use these books in our homeschools? Anything that you've gotten back from other homeschoolers or what they did? Did they act them out? Did they, you know, um, did you know like i know sometimes when i used to read to my daughter we might stop and i might say well what do you think they're going to do about that and just like envision what might happen next let them get all alive with anticipation and then go on reading the narrative like there's just so many different responses to good material yeah and and what i always am looking for uh and what i'm hoping these books are going to do is spur people to want to find out the actual history right so this is historical fiction after they've read the book, I want them to be able to, like my first reaction when I read Angels and Iron was, I have to read the history of what actually happened here. Because if any, if what this book is saying is anything close to true, this was amazing. And you read their history and you find out, oh, wow, <laughs> Nick Prada did a great job, you know, bringing that history to life and giving the characters souls, you know, because, uh, oh. you know, you read a straight up history and you don't get a lot of that sometimes. So uh, the, the nature of uh novels or fiction is that they can kind of bring out the humanity more just like names and dates right so it's not it's not just names dates and battles it's like these are the people who are on the front lines experiencing what was going on mm-hmm. so what ultimately we would like is for those who read the books to say wow i really need to know more about the history of what happened here and just to enkindle in them you know uh this is kind of the Holy Spirit's way of getting people. And and that's why we want to tell good stories about good, holy people, or if it's, you know, or if they're evil people about redemption, right. Or about Mm. why, you know, going or cautionary tales about why you shouldn't do this, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, we, we, we want those messages to come across. We don't want them to be preachy or obvious, but we want them to be complex and thought provoking. Yeah. And I don't want to take us down a rabbit trail because we're starting to wrap up. But in our times, I think all homeschoolers know, and it's a big part of why a lot of people have pulled their kids out of schools in the last few years, that history, quote unquote, history ends up being a tool for propaganda. It can be very politicized and confusing and, and untrue. And so when we go to good sources for history, our children get to learn, like you said, that these people had souls, that the people, when they look around them, are not just, you know, different races or persecution groups. These are people who have had incredible courage and character in the face of adversity. These are people that, like us, struggle and ask questions and have to face their fears. Uh, When we step into each other's histories, we see each other outside of that 
two-dimensional just kind of superficiality that has been so weaponized in our time. So I I really wish I had done a lot more with history with my daughter when we had the chance. Um, And I love that you're doing Asian history because when Charlie and I lived overseas, we read a lot of books on communist China and how all of that took hold of people's minds and what it did to their lives. And so knowing history, appreciating it and understanding that we need good sources. These are all just, and the, just the human stories that they tell that are so, that help us to build on, stand on the shoulders of giants, right? People who've gone before us and say, wow, my humanity is capable of these things. Right. And you, you mentioned, uh, you know, communist China. Uh, I think if every American had to read about the cultural revolution uh, and what happened there, uh, a lot of what's going on nowadays would seem very frightening to people. So <laughs> I think re- finding books on the, you know, if we could do a book on the Cultural Revolution, I'll tell you a, a little side story just really briefly. One of my authors who is not an ARCS uh, author, who's an author in my day job, is a uh, gentleman from uh, from China. He grew up in China. He came to the U.S. in the 70s or 80s, not knowing any English. It's one of these stories, right? He got his PhD in laser physics and his MD. So he became an ophthalmologist. Wow. And he has this really incredible story that it turned into a movie. And there's actually a film going to be made about him that's going to be released uh, in a couple of months. And wow. I think it's going to be a pretty big budget film. I, I, I'm not exactly sure. I'm waiting for it to come out. But uh, it's uh, the funny thing about it was it was blacklisted in China because, <laughs> because it showed. Uh, some of the stuff that his family went through in the 60s and the Cultural Revolution. And they the only way that they could get it not blacklisted in China was to portray the Chinese government as not being party to what the Cultural Revolutionaries were doing. So they basically had to lie to get the movie approved in China. So that's that's the kind of thing that we're dealing with. And the other thing is, they couldn't get any Chinese actors to act in the movie because they knew that they would be blacklisted by China if they did. Wow. Wow. That's intense. Yeah. We really have to be aware of the times we're in and the patterns that we are seeing. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So take us out with any final thoughts, Tony. This has just been such a great conversation. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I would say that, uh, looking into the future, uh, I would like to continue publishing the kinds of books that we're publishing. We do books for the long term. So we don't, uh, a lot of trade publishers will publish a book and then six months afterwards, it's forgotten about. We don't want to publish books like that. We want to publish books that 100 years from now, someone's going to pick up and read and, and have the same forceful impact that it had the, the day it was written. We're looking for universal. We're not looking, and we're looking for books that are inspiring, are going to inspire people to, you know, uh, love God and become closer to God and to want to, you know, be self sacrificial. You know, uh, the definition of love is uh, as uh, willing the good of another, right? So that's kind of what we want to inspire in people. And if we can have our books read 100 years from now and have the same kind of impact, those are the kinds of books that we're looking to publish. Wow. All glory to God. May the Holy Spirit just, cre- you know, continue to create this legacy through you guys and, and through anyone else out there that is really following the Lord into the space of telling our human stories. Uh, yeah, speaking the truth out in the world is really a prophetic voice, if you think about it, and much needed in our times. Uh, hopefully, uh, the Holy Spirit grant us uh, uh, the ability to do so for many more years. 
Yeah. Amen and amen, brother. This has been so good. Everybody check out Tony Schiavo's company, arcspublishing.com. And he's also got evopub.com. Um, so we have both of those links in the show notes. Tony, um, we're going to have you back again soon, right? For yeah. another topic. So I'd be I happy hope to. So. Yeah, we'd love that. Um, everybody, thank you for being with us. Have a great day in the Lord and please pray for us. We're praying for you too. Bye God now. bless you, Lisa. It was great being with you. Thank you. God bless you too, Tony. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you and thank you for joining us.